Is this on? I think it's on. Good morning. <clears throat> um, I want to welcome everybody to the Crossings Church. My name's Jake. Um, uh, it has been a good week. School's back in session, it seems like, all around the board. High schoolers, you're back. Good for you. I know you guys aren't so happy, but I bet your parents are. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, campus ministry has kicked off, and there's a lot of new faces, a lot of college students here from SIUE um, that it's just been really cool to see. <clears throat> uh, just the school year has just kicked off so well, and it seems like COVID is kind of like gone, you know. Um, so if anybody, you know, no matter what kind of student you are, you're probably just excited to just be back without COVID around. Um, and it's just been kind of cool to see at SIUE at least the lunch tables, like people actually sit out again, you know, um, and they actually do things around other people. They're not closing things down. Um, and it's just been kind of a great start to the school year. And, and here at the Crossings Church, the fall gets really busy because, um, I mean, fall is just that kind of like that season where people go out, right? Like you guys, like who's excited for like the pumpkin spice season in the room? Sick, right? I can't stand the pumpkin spice stuff. I like pumpkin flavored stuff, but when they put the spice on the end of it, it's, I like pumpkin pie, but pumpkin spice lattes, Starbucks, no thank you. Um, but the fall is like that season where like we just get out and start doing stuff. Um, and here at the Crossings Church, we try to take advantage of that and we try to do a lot of different things um, that we can to, to take advantage of getting to know the community and getting to know people. If they're out and about, let's set up some events and let's set up some things that we can do um, to get to know the community, get to know the people, and just to have an opportunity to serve. Um, and so, you know, kicking that off in two weeks, next, not this Saturday coming up, but the following Saturday, we're going to have a, a Rock the Block party here at the Crossings Church. And our Rock the Block is an awesome event. It's our family event that we uh, set up in the parking lot, and we have inflatables, we have face painting, we have snow cones, we have cotton candy, we have different games, we have different things like that, and it's all free. Um, and it's just an awesome opportunity to invite your family, to invite your friends, um, to just come to something that's a good community event to kind of kick off the fall semester for us. Uh, our campus ministry, we have an event called Fall Fest, uh, and then we have a few other things that we're going to be putting together as the fall semester gets kind of rolling. Um, but if you're visiting with us, I want you to know that we're an active church. We're, we're very community-led by uh, the things that we do, um, just whatever's going on. We try to have a hand in as well, so we're glad that you guys are here. Um, <clears throat> we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, called Restored. And if you guys can see, uh, you may not be able to see from where you are, but underneath the word restore, it says getting back to who you were meant to be. And we're in the middle of this series because we really believe that God has called us to be restored. Um, no matter where you're at in life, no matter um, how, how big of a, a habit or a hangup or an addiction or wh whatever has been going on in your life that you look at and you're like, you know, there just used to be a time where I didn't feel this way. There used to be a time in my life where I felt good about myself, where I felt like I was okay. And then something happened. And now I look at my life now and I say, I wish I could get back to that state. Um, that's exactly what we believe God has put us here at the Crossings Church to help people understand is that God wants you to have that feeling back. God wants you to have that, that peace of mind um, that love and that passion. And maybe you've never felt that, and God wants you to get to that state of where he created you and what he wanted you to feel in your life. Um, and so the sermon series, just like, you know, we have some old junk cars on there because at one point those cars looked like they were brand new, right? Because they were. 
Um, and through time, you know, the cars have been destroyed or they've been weathered or they've just been, um, time has kind of taken their course on these cars. And that's like a big hobby that people have is restoring cars and making them look like they're back in their original shape, what they were intended to look like in the first place. And um, I think that that's exactly how God wants us to feel. And so we're doing the sermon series, and today what we're going to be talking about is uh, seeking God's face and turning from my sin. We've been coming out of this verse in 2 Chronicles 7 that says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. And so when you look, <coughs> when you look in this verse... Um, you see that there's a couple different promises that God has here. He says that he'll hear, that he'll forgive, and he'll restore. And it's kind of cool because when you think about those three things, he, he hits on every stage of our life, past, present, and future. Because if it says that he'll hear, that's kind of our present tense, that he, he'll hear what's going on in our lives right now. Um, forgiving the sin, that's the past, um, because those are things that we've done in the past or things that we've, we've messed up on in the past. And then there's this idea of restoring, which can be something that looks forward to our future. And so it's kind of cool to, to, to look at that idea of God saying, you know, I'm here to help in every area and every stage of life, past, present, and future. I want, us, I want to get you to a place that you can feel security and peace no matter where you feel like your wrongdoings are at. Because for some of us, we are held back by our past. We, we, we look at our past and say, I can't get to this next stage in life because of how I feel about my past. Well, God says he's here for that. Or maybe it's your present. You know, you look at your life right now and say, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this because of where I'm at in life, the struggles I have, where I'm, I just feel like I've dug myself in a hole that I don't know how to get out of, and I'm right now stuck in it. God says he addresses that. Or maybe we're in a life where we're like, I don't know what my future is supposed to look like. I don't know how in the world I'm supposed to have any kind of future or any kind of life because of the way that I feel about myself right now or the things that I've struggled with. There's no way that I can get to that next stage, and I have no idea what that future is going to look like. God also says he's here to, to deal with that as well. And so this is a very hopeful sermon today to give us this idea of what restoration can look like. But to get there, we have to, we have to understand what God wants from us. Um, so last week, we kind of broke down this verse a little bit. And at the beginning of that verse, it talks about, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves you know, Wes talked about that last week, this idea of humility, that there's got to be a way for us to be humble enough to ask for help. We have to have humility in our lives to look at that idea of restoration. And today we're going to go on and we're going to go down this verse a little bit further and look at some of the other pieces of it. And today what we're going to focus on in this verse is what it looks like to, I must seek God's face and turn from my sin. And so how I think the best way to go about this is we're going to just break that down, seeking God's face and turning from my sin, and we're going to really look at these words and figure out what that really looks like. Because it's easy to just throw some words out from the Bible and say, you know, this is what the Bible says, here's a couple words, just do it. And I think the culture sometimes is like, oh, these words mean one thing, and then you look in the Bible and you realize that it doesn't really mean that at all. That God says, that's not what I meant when I said that thing. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to break down these words in a very, a very simplified way but I think it gives us a deeper understanding of really what God wants us to do and what God wants us to, to be a part of as we look forward to this. So this first part, seeking God's face, the seek his face part, right? And we're going to break that down into two different words. And the first word is seek. If we're going to look at this idea of being restored, we have to know what the word seek means. And seek means God calls me to make this a priority. 
God calls me to make this a priority. So when you seek something, it's not just like a secondary or like a when I get to it kind of thing. Um, but it means that <coughs> this will become a priority in your life. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, God will scatter you far and wide. A few of you will survive here and there in the nations where God will drive you. There you can worship your homemade gods to your heart's content, your wonderful gods of wood and stone that you can't see or hear, or eat or smell. But even here, and if you seek God, your God, you'll be able to find him if you're serious, looking for him with your whole heart and soul. You know, Wes kind of got in that last week too, and he talked about these different types of gods that they would worship in this time. And, and, and there is a god of Asher, and they had this Asher pole, and, and the god of Baal, and just the terrible things that these gods would do, and what people would do to choose to worship them. And God comes in here and he says, it doesn't matter where you go, it doesn't matter how far away you stray, but if you're serious about seeking me, doesn't matter where you're at, you will still be able to find me. And I think today in the culture we live in, we don't necessarily, at least I, I don't think you guys do, I don't think most of you guys have like a stone statue at home that you guys worship, right? Or that you guys have these different types of gods where it's like, all right, well, if I want a good harvest and we want to make sure we have really good meals this year, like I'm going to pray to this God. Or if I, you know, if I want to have, make sure that financially we're, we're, going, to, we're going to flourish this year, I'm going to pray to, the, like, I don't think that a lot of us have different types of gods that we choose to worship like they did in the Old Testament. But I still don't think that means that there aren't gods that we choose to worship that aren't God. You see, because they take different forms and they take different faces today. I would say, you know, anything that you would tend to struggle with with habits or addictions, if you chose to put that as a priority in your life, that could easily become a God. If your spouse, you know, being married is a good thing. It can be a godly thing, but it can also be a thing that takes you away from God and becomes a new focus. Um, your kids, your habits, your hobbies, the things that interest you the most, anything that you choose to focus on in your life that you feel like has taken a more important priority than God is just like what these people are doing and he's describing here in Deuteronomy. They're saying these types of idols, these types of people in our lives, take that. And the reality is, is just like these false gods, the people and the things that we choose to worship at some point in our life will fail us because they're imperfect, because they're human, because they're materialistic. And God is the only perfect thing to worship because he isn't imperfect. He isn't just materialistic. He is the truth. But God says, no matter where you're at in life, no matter whatever it is that you have going on, if you're serious about it, he'll still find you in the middle of that struggle or in the middle of that, um, that lifestyle that we choose to live in. But there's an idea of making it a priority. You know, like how many of you guys have ever lost your keys before, right? Now, when you lose your keys, like on like a, I don't know, Monday night at like five or six o'clock and you can't find them, but like you're home for the night, you don't really have anything to do. Are you kind of like, oh, I'll eventually find them, right? There's not really like a big stress to get your keys out. But like once Tuesday morning comes around at like 7.55 and you got to be working at 8 a.m., are you still sitting on the couch being like, I'll eventually find them. You know, I got, I got, I got five minutes. I'll be fine. No, you're not, right? You're like throwing every couch cushion all over the place. And you're like yelling at everybody. Like, for some reason, isn't it like when we lose our keys, if we're like married or with kids or whatever, that like you think it's okay to like lose your temper, right? Like it's excused right now because I've lost my keys, right? How many of you guys have had a spouse or, or somebody in your family in your home be like, where are my keys? Like, and they kind of go after you and you're like, hey, that's not okay. Like, 
we're going to talk, or I'm going to help you find your keys, but we're going to talk about that attitude later. You know, like, and that's, I think, sometimes because there's such a priority, like, it, it needs to happen right now. Like, there is such, uh, there's such a priority that this needs to happen because I need this right now. And I like to say that I believe that most Christians view seeking God like the Monday night at 5 p.m. versus the Tuesday morning at 7.55. I think when it comes to really seeking God's face, we choose to put it off and say, it's not really that big of a deal. I got some other things I'd rather do. I got time. I got time to do this. But God says that's not really what it looks like to seek my face. He says it's got to be a priority. If you're serious about it, if it's needed, if, if you feel like it's needed in your life, it's going to look a little different in the way you pursue me. In Hosea 5.15, it says, Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt, and they will seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. I don't know if I think earnestly is underlined in your notes, but if you don't know anything about the story of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet, and he was um, somebody that God had really valued and somebody that God had really looked at his life and said, this is a good guy. And then God gives him, you know, the command to marry Gomer, who's a prostitute. And you see this relationship start to form, and, and he pulls Gomer out of this, this, this lifestyle. But Gomer tends to go back, and she goes back to this lifestyle, and she continues to go and sleep with other men, and she tends to put herself back in prostituting situations to the point where Hosea actually had to go pay like one of her pimps, in a way, to get her back um, because he had a deep love for her. And no matter how far away Gomer would stray, Hosea was always meant to go back to find her, to seek her, um, because of his deep love for her. And that story in Scripture is just a great reminder, and it's meant to be a great reminder of our relationship with God. That we are meant to be the Gomers of life, and God has been the Hosea. God has been the person who, no matter how far away we stray into the world, no matter how far away we choose to go out and just keep just letting God be like this, I got something else going on in the world. God has always been that person who chooses to come in and say, no matter how far you go, I will come find you. And that brings more of a, a, a power to this verse because it says, I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt and they will seek my face in their misery. They will earnestly seek me. As the Gomas of our lives, do we choose to earnestly seek God the way that we know that he truly cares and loves and seeks for us? And Matthew 6, seek the kingdom above all else and, and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Um, you know, there's an above all else there. And I think a lot of times we, I think that when we, when we hear the word seek, there's not really this urgency on it or there's not really this priority on it. We just think it's something else that we can do in life as well. But God's promise for the blessings that he wants for our lives is never on a conditioned basis that it's just something that's going to go along with whatever else we have going on in life. But it's always meant to be a priority, that it's going to be the top tier thing. Another good thing about this verse in Matthew 6, is that you might want to circle the word need at the back. Because I think a lot of times when people hear the word need, they make that word mean want. <laughs> um, and you look in your life, and how many of you guys have ever prayed for something that you just really wanted? Like a reliable car, you know, or like a job that pays like six figures, you know, or, or something in your life that you look at and you're like, I really need this. You know, I need this job like really bad or I need, are you college students? I need to get a good grade on this, you know, because if I don't, 
I'm going to have to take this class over again. And like we've had those, those Hail Mary prayers where we pray for those things. But the reality is, is that when you choose to seek God and make it a priority, you're going to start to have a discernment between what's really needed in life and what's really wanted in life. You see, I think to be restored in your relationship with God or to have a restoration in your life to feel something different, we've got to dismiss this idea of what it is that we really need and what it is that we really want. Because when you look at your life and where you were, and if you want to get back to that life, if, it's a, if it has had a relationship with God, it usually doesn't involve material things. You know, it's, it's not usually like, man, if I had that car back, I would feel really restored in my relationship with God. <laughs> like, nobody really feels that way, you know. If I really just could go back and get straight A's in college, man, my relationship with God would be so much better. You know, we, we don't think like that. Because the reality is those are not things that we need. You know, it's the things that we want. But I think the things that we need to be restored are, you know, man, I feel a lot more at peace with where I'm at in life right now. I feel a lot more security in my life because of the bad decisions that I made. I don't, I don't feel so insecure about who I am or where I'm at. Those are the things that I think that we need. And I think those are the things that God promises if we choose to seek him and make him a priority. So that first word is broken down to seek. The second word is face. It says to seek his face. And to seek his face, um, you know, God calls me to make this personal. And so when you seek his face, um, that's not just saying it's just a general thing. <coughs> um, but seeking his face is not, there's a couple things that it's not, you know. So seeking his face is not being religious. And I think a lot of times people look at that and they say, all right, so if I go to church and I, you know, I go to, I go to small groups or I go to church events or I go to a cross chat or I go um, and do these things that church people do, that means that I am seeking his face. That means that I have a personal relationship with God. And where those things might aid in your relationship with God, those things do not, they don't determine if you have a personal relationship with God or not. Because to make something personal means that you have that personally between you and God. And being religious and being in those church things does not mean that that's what that means. Now, the Bible does make it very clear that he wants us to be involved in groups and he, wants, he has given us a church family. He's given us other disciples and other believers in our lives to, to surround us to help aid in that relationship. But if all you do is go to those things because you believe that's what's going to create your relationship, you're going for the wrong reasons. You know, I grew up playing baseball. And so uh, I had a lot of friends that didn't play baseball. But they spent a lot of time with us. So at my lunch tables at high school, we'd have friends that, you know, sat with us at the table, some of our closest friends. We had some of the guys that went to the games and they'd watch us play. We had guys that would hang out with us on the weekends. And we had a really close relationship with them. But that didn't necessarily mean that they had a close relationship with baseball. You know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes that's the same way that people view God, is that they think because they're religious and they sit at the lunch tables, or they go to the churches, or they go to the small groups, and they do those things, that just instantly means that their relationship with God is personal. But just like those guys that hung out with us on the baseball team, they didn't have that connection to baseball because they weren't doing it themselves. They just had associations around it. And that's what religion is, in a nutshell, in the world. People are religious because they go do those things, but they really have nothing to do with God. They just do godly things, which is so backwards when you think about it. 
But that's, I think, sometimes what people think. Seeking his face is also not just finding relief. You know, how many times do people go into a church just to get help? They say, you know, I need help. Well, I guess church is the last resort. You know, like sometimes that's what happens, right? They say, this is, this is, I got nothing else. I got nothing else to lose, right? I got, and, and they try every other thing, but then they come to church and they're like, well, this is my last resort. And so they, they look at church and they say, well, if I'm really seeking his face, I'm going to do it so I can get help. I'm going to do it just so I can get relief. And that doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship with God is personal. You know, because think about it like this. How many of you guys would just go to your parents just when you needed help? Would that make that relationship very personal? If every time you got into a bad spot, that's the only time that you choose to go talk to your mom or dad or that you talk to one of your friends is when you just needed help? If we look at our lives and say, you know, if I did that to my mom and I was like, mom, I need help, mom, I need help. But like I didn't have anything else to do with her outside of those times that I needed help. Would my mom feel like I have a personal relationship with her? Or would she just feel like I just go to her whenever I need things? God's the same way. We have to have this relationship that's not just based on other things. Also, seeking his face is not just seeking rewards. It's not the other side of it, too. You know, just getting the good things. Well, I, just, I want to have a relationship with God because I want the good things in my life. Same thing with, with a parent, you know? God's not like Santa Claus or Oprah where he's like, you get a car and you get blessings and you get this. And, you know, he's like, Christmas comes around and then here's all the good things, right? And some of us, like, we make sure we're present at Christmas at home, right? Because we know we're going to get stuff from our parents, right? Like, we know that's when we should show up. Or sometimes we call our parents on our birthdays, right? Because we hope that they have remembered that it's our birthdays to get us something. We're just like, hey, I'm just calling. I don't know if you forgot about anything today, you know, like... Sometimes we make those calls, but we don't call throughout the week whenever there's nothing, really, nothing else really going on, right? And that's kind of what happens in seeking his face. As we put those things in place of really seeking his face, and if that's the reason that we choose to have a relationship with God, then we really don't have a personal one. Now, there's a fine line to draw with these because if you read Scripture, you find out very quickly that if you have a relationship with God, these are byproducts of that, for sure. That you get to have a church family, that you can have community, that you can have relief, like, and that you can find rewards like blessings in life. Like, those are all things that are biblical. But if that is the reason that you come to have a relationship with God, then your relationship with God will solely be not personal, but on what you want. It becomes a very selfish relationship. You know, I don't think this is in your notes, but in James 4, verses 2 through 3, it says, You want something you don't have, and you'll do anything to get it. You'll even kill, but you still cannot get what you want, and you don't want it by fighting and arguing. You should pray for it. Yet even when you pray, your prayers are not answered, because you pray just for selfish reasons. See, you can even pray wrong, you know, because all you do is pray for yourself. And James made that clear. Listen, it says, like, these are all things that we need to do and we should do. But if you really want to be restored and you, and you really want to seek his face, it can't just be about your selfish ambition because of what you really want to get out of life. So then what is seeking his face? Well, seeking his face is longing for closeness to God. Seeking his face is longing for closeness to God. Exodus 33, 11 describes Moses' relationship with, with God. And it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. 
You see, to, have a, to long for closeness with God, kind of like Moses had with God, means that there is a personal relationship. And like I said here, face-to-face with his friend, like a man speaks with his friend. Like when you guys get lunch on campus or you guys go and get, you know, like I'm not a big coffee person at all, but I know you guys love coffee breaks. <laughs> like how many of you guys in here drink coffee, right? Um, and so when you guys look at your lives and you guys get Starbucks or you guys get Dunkin' or you guys go and sit down at some place or, you know, as you get older and you guys learn how to make coffee yourselves and you start being like, oh, it's a lot cheaper at home and we can just do it here and we have people over and we sit on our back porches and we drink coffee and you have good conversations. That's what God deeply desires with each and every one of you. That's what God desires with us to have that type of relationship that we long to be close with God in a way that we can feel comfortable to talk about anything with him. Not just to talk about what we want or to talk about what we need, but to talk about life and to have that closeness in our prayer lives when we talk to God about what's going on. In Philippians 3.10, it says, I want to know Christ better. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I want to share in his sufferings. Right? And it talks about sharing in a way that you, you want to share in sufferings. Nobody wants to, to share in sufferings, right? And what, what kind of things does, does Jesus suffer? What kind of things do you look at in Jesus' life that, that make him feel like he's been suffered, right? And we can look at what happened on the cross, and we can, we can identify with that, and we can, and we can feel with that. But, you, got, you know, have you ever had somebody close in your life that's had something bad happen to them? Have you ever had somebody, you know, pass away? Have you ever had somebody have an abortion? or somebody that had a miscarriage, or somebody that has had an addiction, or somebody in your life that you just look at it and you say, I feel so bad. I feel so sad. It's, it's so wrong what happened to them. And you feel that way, and sometimes maybe you, you shed tears, and you cry and you get emotional about those same things. When some of my closest friends have some of the hardest things happen and they come and they talk to me and they're crying about what's going on, it's only natural for me to cry as well because I love those people and I hate to see the things that happen. And here at the Crossing Church, you're, you're in a congregation of people that have some pretty jacked up lives. This isn't a church where everybody's got everything together. This isn't a church where people hide that crap, but this is a church where people come and they talk about the stuff that's going on. And a lot of times the people at this church have been pulled out of the world, out of really bad situations, and they're trying to to start something new. And a lot of their families are still stuck in that area. You know, our campus ministry, I I spend a lot of time talking with college students that get pulled out of that, and they're still like, you know, my mom, you know, she's just in a bad place. Or I haven't seen my dad in years. Or I don't even know who my dad is. Or I've struggled with abuse in my family, and there's still this stuff going on in my family. And I have to sit here and hear these stories of college students' lives and how terrible it is. And it only makes sense for me to get emotional and to share in that with them because I deeply love and care for them. And what, what God wants us to understand is that that's the same way he wants us to feel about him. That's the same way he wants us to feel about what Jesus had to go through. That he wants us to connect and share in that sufferings and to feel emotional about the things that God has chosen to do in his life because he's went all the way out to reach out for us, to show us how much he cares for us. That's what it looks like to seek God's face.
in an emotional way. That's what it looks like to make it a priority. That's what it looks like to long to be close to God. Another way to seek his face is to look for clarity from God. To look for clarity from God. Psalms 27, verses 8 and 11, it says, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, O Lord, I'll seek your face. Even my father and mother abandoned me. The Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path. How many of you guys, like, have no idea what you want to do with your life? It's okay. Like, what, like college students, you, maybe you're in, a, like, a degree, but, like, do you really know what you want to do? Like, who, who for real, it doesn't matter what age you are. Like, how many of you guys just look at your life and be like, I don't really know what my job is supposed to be in the next 30 years, Right? And we can look at our lives, and I'm like, I still don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I'm up here right now, but like, who knows what's going to happen in a couple of years. Like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I used to be a PE teacher. I worked in a lumberyard. Like, I've been, all, I've been all over. Like, I have a wide array of things that I've done in my life. I used to work at a shoe store. Like, I've done, I've done a lot of different random jobs. Um, and I don't know, you know? And it's okay to not know. But I think a lot of times we look at our lives, and we see what the culture around us is doing, and that kind of blazes our path for our next step, right? Because maybe we're in college and we're like, what are we supposed to do? You know, like, we just graduated high school. Like, what are we supposed to do in these four years? And where do we go to figure out where to figure that stuff out? Well, it only makes sense to look at other college kids around us and be like, well, that's what they're doing. Maybe that's the next step, right? And then we graduate and we look at our lives and we're like, well, what are we supposed to do now? Well, then we look at, like, young adults that, like, are right out of college, and some of them are still in college. And we're like, I don't want to go that, back that way. So which way do I go now? Um, and so we look for like a career. We look for like a job to get into. And then we start getting there. And we're like, what am I supposed to do now? And then like we see people are starting to like marry up, you know, and start starting to, you know, get something going with marriage. We're like, well, maybe I'm supposed to find a spouse, you know. And then like we get that. And we're like, what am I supposed to do now? And then people are popping out kids. And like, maybe I'm supposed to pop out a couple kids, you know. And then we get there and like, what am I supposed to do now? And it keeps going in our lives into that point where we're like, all right, maybe I have to figure out my house life. And everybody else has got houses, so maybe I'm supposed to have a house. And then we keep going and, we, and we, we build our plans in life based on what everybody else is building their plans on in life. We look for, our, we look for the clarity in our life based on the culture of our lives. i got to have a retirement plan. i got to have some things set in place. You know? and, then, and then our life is pretty much done. And when we look at our lives, when we're maybe 60 or 70 years old, we're going to look back and say, you know, most of my life was paved from the people around me of what they were doing. And God says if you have an honest relationship with him and you want, and you want to have a good relationship with God, you won't be looking at the people around you to find clarity for the purpose of your life. You'll look to God. You won't, you won't be saying, teach me, O world, what to do. You'll be looking like Psalms 27 says, and it says, teach me your way, O Lord, not the world. Lead me on a level path. And so if you look at your life and you're, and you're trying to figure out what's my next step, where am I supposed to go, what am I supposed to do? Well, a good indicator if you're leaning to God or if you have a relationship with God or not is are you basing those plans on the people around you and where they're at in life or are you truly looking in your relationship with God, in his word, to figure out where, he's, where he is leading you or where he's wanting to lead you. You know, that's one of the coolest things that I, I believe about God. And 
and his life for plans because it doesn't, it doesn't look like the, the Americanized version of college, career, kids, marriage, things like that. Um, one of the things that I love so much even about our church is just how many plans in that, in that line of American success, uh, the society, have been interrupted because people believe God has called them to do different things in those windows. Um, you know, I look at people, even in this church, this, this church in itself was established and planted by a handful of people that chose to leave college and drop out from a university in a different state to come and enroll in a new university to establish his church. You know, our, 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 our lead evangelist, Wes, and his family, they have been all over the country. You know, they've been in California. Um, they've been in Arkansas. They've been all over the world. And they have changed their perspectives on life and not had to worry about their forever home and not worry about their, their, their American view of success in society in the midst of having all these kids, um, that they have found something that says God's plan is maybe pulling me to not look for the next step that the society is going in, but where, where I feel God has called me. And I think if you find people in your life that don't look like the American view, you know, of, of a plan, they might be onto something. You know, they might be finding something. Um, I'm sure there's many people in this room that you could talk to about their stories and, and realize that, like, that doesn't sound like a plan um, that, got, or, you know, that, that the world would, would maybe say is successful. But if you look there, if you, if, you, if you ask them where they're at in life and the blessings that they have and the things that they have now, they would probably say, yeah, because the American plan kind of sucks. <laughs> you know, the, the American plan of just you know, going to school and working or not going to school and working and then having kids and get married and retiring, it gets kind of lonely. It gets kind of depressing. It doesn't really feel like there's a purpose, you know. Um, and so looking for clarity is a great place to go to God instead of what the world's doing. And when you put these things together, um, you know, it culminates to this idea that if, if you know and love God, you'll obey God. And this is kind of a good, a good reflection you know, because if you're looking at this idea, you're like, I do seek God's face, you know, and uh, I want to make sure that I'm fine with where I'm at. Well, the last piece of that is just obedience. In 1 John 2, it says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Here's your indicator right here. Because, you know, maybe you're like, I'm confident that I have a relationship. I know God, right? Well, the indicator is, do you obey him then? Because it doesn't make any sense to seek God out and find all these different things and then realize that God's like, hey, let's go do this. Hey, I want you to do this. And then you're like, eh, I don't really want to do that. Well, there's the indicator right there. If you really truly do have a relationship with God, if you're really truly going to see those blessings and see that healing and see those things, it comes down to obedience. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. You know, if you're going to have a good relationship with somebody, there's got to be a love there. If you truly have a relationship with somebody, you're going to love them. And that love doesn't mean like the lovey-dovey, you know, what you see in rom-coms and things like that. That's not the type of love. That's an infatuation. To have a deep love for somebody means that you're willing to be in relationship with them ride or die, share in sufferings, all these things that we just talked about, that's what love looks like for somebody. And God says, 
if you love me in that way, you're going to obey what I say and do what I say. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about why he wants us to do those things here in a little bit. But um, just to kind of culminate this idea that restoration happens, if you, know, if you find restoration, you're not going to find restoration by seeking restoration. You find that restoration by seeking relationship. And that's literally everything we had just talked about. That if you really want to be restored in life, if you, want to, if you want to get back to that state where you know who you are and you're at where you're at and you look back at the old time in your life and you're like, man, I, I, I want to be back there. If your sole purpose is just to seek that, you'll never find it. You'll never find it anywhere and you'll definitely never find it in your relationship with God because it's not the reason that you're going to get it. But to have restoration, it comes by seeking a relationship with God. See, restoration is a, brought, is, a, is a byproduct, once again, like those other things, from your relationship. You know, somebody said, once the true worth of a man is measured by what he pursues. And I think that's so true in our relationships. So even as you guys sit here today, and as I sit here, and I think about, you know, what's going on in my life. Even in, sometimes when I'm sitting out there, and I'm listening to sermons, like, on Sundays, I'm like, man... Where am I going to lunch today? <laughs> like, you guys ever thought that? Ah, man, it's, it's going to be not so crowded on a Sunday. It's also not too far of a drive, but like, it's going to be a good price. Is there any sales going on? I don't feel an Italian. No. Ah, let's just go to Taco Bell again. No, not everybody's going to like Taco Bell. You know, and we sit here and we, and we, and we think about those things, right? Or it's like, ah, man, I got this bill coming up. How am I going to pay for this this week? What am I supposed to tie today? Well, maybe I can push the tithe off this week. Oh, let, me, let, me, let me open my bank account real fast, see what's in there. Yeah. And like, we'll sit here and we'll do those things today. Like right now, some of you guys are probably, and you're probably like, oh crap, he saw me on the camera. <laughs> you're putting your phone back up, you know? Um, I've done that. I've been that person. I've sat out there and I've thought about like, this is, that's where my thoughts are at right now, you know? And I think that's kind of like this, what this quote is talking about. Whatever's on our mind is really what we're pursuing in life. You know, and then flip that all the way back to Matthew 6, 33, what we talked about in the verse. What things are we seeking first? What things are on our hearts? Because whatever's on our hearts and what we're seeking, that takes the priority. And so when you, and you, want, when you think about seeking God's face, you really have to look at your life and you need to say, am I really seeking the way that God wants me to seek? Or is my mind and heart somewhere completely different? So that's the seeking his face part. And the second part of this is to turn from my wicked ways. The part that I do not want to talk about from the pulpit. <laughs> like, nobody wants to talk about repentance. Nobody wants to talk about sin from the, like, it's not, like, give me, give me God's love. Give me God's grace. Like, let me talk about those things. But no, I have to talk about wicked things. <laughs> you know, this is that word, it sounds so weird, right? But we're going to do it, we're going to break it down. And we're going to talk about wickedness today, right? Um, and so if we're going to break down this idea of turn from our wicked ways, the first word is wicked. And if you're thinking about the word wicked, what that means is that I must see my disobedience as evil. And it, like I said, it kind of just makes me squirm to be somebody on stage that has to talk to like 100 people and three words in the same thing are wicked, disobedience, and evil. Like, I don't want to talk about that stuff with you guys. Like, I don't want to be the person who has to describe what these things are. Um, and if you talk about it in a certain way, it's really off-putting 
in people's relationships with God because they don't like to be told that they're wicked. And I'm not going to say you're like, y'all wicked people, right? Y'all need to turn from your evil ways. You're disobedient. Like it, it, there are churches that talk like that. And there are churches that and some of you guys have probably been a part of a church or heard sermons that are like that. And that's what happens. But what we need to do is we need to understand those words, because I think the culture has taken some of those words and they're like, that's a really bad word, you know. And so we try to those are like taboo words that like new hip churches don't really want to talk about because like that's going to be off putting to the crowd that comes in. But the reality is. Is that God has described things as wicked and we have to relate to those things. We have to understand the way that God views these things because just because we dismiss a word because we think it's wrong, or we think it's bad, or it's a yucky word, or whatever it may be, doesn't mean that God dismisses it. Just because we don't like to call people wicked doesn't mean that's how God still feels about those kind of people. And if you want a bare-bone definition of what the word wicked means in Scripture, it's essentially, the word wicked means that anybody who ignores or anybody who breaks or dismisses the word or the commands that God puts in their life. So anybody in scripture through all history who chose to ignore or break God's law, God deemed them as wicked people or that their hearts were in a wicked state of mind. And when we define it in that way, you know, it makes us realize that we, we are wicked in the eyes of God. And like I said, I don't go around and call people wicked all the time. You know, I don't. But like I said, just because I don't want to take it that way or just because I don't want to hear that word in my heart does not mean that I get to choose the way that God changes his view of me. God, I don't like being called wicked or feeling wicked. So I, I'm not going to use that word. So can you like you not use that against me either? <laughs> like That's not how it works. Like God has defined what that word is and he defines what it means. And so we have to accept that and realize that that's what those things mean. So wicked isn't just like the Hitlers of the world that are like completely destroy everything. And, and, and like those are wicked people. No, God says, listen, if you don't do what I ask you to do in life, you're just as bad. In my eyes, you are. If you're the person who treats other people like crap because you don't know how to have good, healthy relationships, so you choose to just put people down, or if you're somebody who chooses to lie all the time to people because you just don't know how to take your relationship with me seriously, and you, try, you choose to lie and cheat, um, if, you, if you struggle with addictions in your life or you struggle with habits in your life that I've asked you and commanded you to not do, um, if you struggle with the college scene and you, all you want to do is go out and get drunk and have these crazy parties and you want to sleep around with people A, B, and C, these are all things that I've asked my people to not do. And so when you choose to do those things, God himself looks at us and views us as wicked people. And I don't think that he wants us to be like that person. You know, have you ever tell like a kid, like, um, I've never called a kid stupid <laughs> I used to be a teacher, but I have said at times before too, I'm like, you're not stupid, but what you're doing right now is stupid. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I never want to call somebody like a thing because then it becomes who they are, but I will definitely not dismiss the action is very stupid. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, you're not a stupid kid, but what you just did is pretty stupid, you know? And I think that's the same thing about God. God doesn't want to view us as wicked people that like you're just, you're done for. You're just wicked in the eyes of God and you're done for. But
But I think he looks at the things that we choose to do and say, those are wicked ways. Those are wicked things. And we have to have a grasp on the idea that God doesn't view us as wicked people. God views us with, with wicked intentions. God views us with wicked actions. And so we can still have the character traits to change those ways so that we don't have these wicked behaviors about our lives and we can get back to being restored to the child of God that, called, that he has called us to be in the first place. So we have to see that disobedience as evil, as wicked things, because it goes against just the, the nature of who God is and what he wanted us to be. Um, and to do that, we have to understand the second word, and that's turn. And so to turn, we have to recognize it, and we have to repent. So to turn from wicked ways is that we have to recognize that that disobedience that is going on in our lives, we have to see it and, and realize that it is evil and in, in that sense, repent and change the perspective. I think that the majority of people, when they realize that there's disobedience or they realize that there are things going on in their lives, their first reaction or their first response is to not talk about it or repent of it or, or change from it, but it's to hide. Um, you know, Proverbs 28, 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they'll receive mercy. And I don't know why that's like our first natural response as humans is to like hide, um, but it is, you know, I remember as a kid, like it was, I, I'm, the, I'm the youngest of five, and so like I had learned a lot from my older siblings but probably one of the best things I had learned was how to hide and lie well and better than them because I watched how they messed up and I was like, I gotta find, I gotta fine tune this so whenever I lie, I'm not gonna get caught like they did, you know. Um, like, uh, I don't know. For example, I'm trying to think. So my sister, my sister and I were younger, and we would, uh, man, we would we would be in charge of doing chores. With my mom, my mom was a bartender. She worked super late nights, so she'd get home at like 1 a.m. Um, and if we didn't do our chores, we got beat, like bad. And I had watched my sister, and we, would, we never went to bed on time. So like my mom would get up, she'd get home, and we'd run for the bedrooms, and we'd get in our rooms. But my sister didn't pretend like she was sleeping. And so like she'd be in her room, like looking at a book. She didn't do her chores or anything like that. My mom would bust in the room. She's like, you didn't do your chores, blah, blah, blah. She'd get her out and whoop her butt. And I'm like, I'm in the other room, and in my bed being like, she's coming for me next, right? And like I knew it was coming. And then I hear my sister screaming and crying and getting in her bed. She's like, my butt hurts, my butt hurts. And then, boom, my door gets open. I'm like, <sighs> and she like come over to me and she like peer over and like just kind of see if I was sleeping or not. And she just go out and close the door and walk away. <laughs> and I'm just being like, I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm sweating. And I'm like, man, I got away with that one this time. Like I, I've learned, right? And as I got older, like, I got better at other things. As I got into high school and things like that, we'd sneak out. Well, my sister wasn't very smart at sneaking out. So, like, she was like the test dummy. I'm like, I'm not sneaking out this weekend. I'm going to watch and see how this plays out for you, you know. And you got caught because you did this. So I'm going to sneak out next weekend and not do what you just did. And I'm just going to continue to learn and be better than you were so I don't get in trouble. And I don't know why, but that's just, like, what kids do. I even see it in my kids now. My kids, like, hide things from each other. And they, and they, they, they get in trouble and I come in and address things, and like one of them's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't, I didn't do. Like, wouldn't it be so nice, parents, if your kids were like, 
let me explain the exact situation in full honesty of what just happened between me and my siblings. All right, I'm gonna give you my story. They're gonna give you your stories, but we're all gonna match up. So you don't, you don't really need to like interrogate us. Like, well, this, this is the truth. Wouldn't that be so nice? Like if that's the way it happened? But no, we gotta like act like cops with our kids, right? Like, hey, split up, split up, split up, put in different rooms. I'm, I'm interrogating you first. What happened, all right? All right, let's hear your story. That, that doesn't line up, you know? And then you, you interrogate all your kids. But like, that's just the natural. I don't know why, but that's just the way that it is. But the reality is, is when it comes to repentance in God, we do the same things. We choose to hide those things that we messed up in. We choose to not address those things and we choose to make up these stories or we choose to act like with our friends everything's fine or we try to justify what we did that was wrong and we get better at it as we get older. Isn't that true? As kids, it's, it's little things like stealing like candy bars or like lying about what we did with our siblings. But then as we get older, it's like lying about a relationship that's really toxic sleeping around with my boyfriend or girlfriend, or sleeping around with somebody that's not my spouse, or choosing to waste all my money on some kinds of addictions and then trying to justify it and lie to, my, lie to people around me, or not being around as much, and then we lie about where we're really at, and then we find out down the road that there's other things. And those lies start to add up, and because we choose not to address and, and, and talk about these things, they become huge issues in our lives. And then we get to that point in our life where we're like, why... Am I like this? How did I get here? How do I get out of this? How do I get restored? Well, it's time to stop hiding those things and start to turn to God about our wicked things and repent. It says in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, there's no life in hiding sin. There's no future in hiding sin but it's something that we need to look at and repent of. Acts 3.19. Here's the cool point. Here's the hope. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come to the Lord. One of the coolest things about Scripture, one of my favorite things, and you see this in Corinthians as well, um, the letters to the Corinthian church, is when you, when you deal with your sin, when you talk about it with people, and God gives us some, some strategies and God gives us some, some ways to deal with it in a good way, some, some ways to deal with godly sorrow and the way that we should act, it's literally wiped clean. It's literally gone. That to the point when you die one day and you have to be put in front of God and give an account of your life, those sins and those wrongdoings that you're so guilty of and you feel so terrible about, those will not be on that account. God will not sit here and say, what about this addiction? Are we going to talk about this? Because repenting and talking about your sins and changing your life and turning from those things eliminates those things off of your account. You know, I grew up, I did a lot of, I did a lot of bad stuff in high school. I slept around with girls. I, I, my dad wasn't in the picture as a kid, and so I turned to a lot of different things. And I look at my life now, you know, 20 or so years down the road. And uh, I feel bad about those things that I did in high school, the girls that I messed around with, the, 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 area, the people that I got involved with and the things that I had done. But I don't feel, I don't feel, um, I don't feel anymore like God's going to hold that against me. Because I took those things in my life and I took them seriously and I confessed them to people 
and I chose to turn my ways, and, and I, don't, I don't live that wicked way anymore. And I believe that what God says is true in the scriptures is that one day when I die, he's not going to sit here and say, let's talk about these high school years. You see, because Jesus died on the cross to make sure that those things wouldn't have to be on my account if I chose to take his relationship with me seriously and change my life. And so for all you guys in the room, when you guys think about the things that you are so hung up on, the things that you're hiding, the things that you're struggling with, the things that make you feel like you're not restored, I'm urging you to look into God's word and realize that what he says is true, that those things will not be held against you if you choose to talk about them, if you choose to turn and not live in those lifestyles anymore, if you choose to deal with those things. And that's the last kind of point on our notes, because finding restoration requires forsaking sin. You have to be done with it. You can't hide it anymore. You can't dismiss it anymore. In Psalm 66, verse 18, it says, If I had ignored my sins, the Lord would not have listened to me. You know, this is David talking. David knows just as much about sin as any of us do. David was a great man who killed Goliath and, and led tons of armies. But David was also a man who slept with one of his best friend's wives, got her pregnant, then killed the guy to hide it. It's pretty bad. You know, that's pretty up there on the sin list, you know. Um, but even David understood, I can't dismiss. Ignore, you know, the word ignore there, another word you could put there is hide, dismiss, not deal with, pretend like it didn't happen. Maybe that's how we've viewed our sins from time to time. If we just pretend it never happened, if we just choose to bury it, if we choose not to deal with it, the Lord still will not listen to us and help us in those areas because we're not really willing to deal with it the way he's asked us to. But David realized at some point in his life he had to deal with those things, and he had talked about those things. And God had restored him just like God wants to restore you. And so I don't know where you're at today. Um, I know that all of us need some sense of restoring in our lives. And maybe you've never had a relationship with God, and you don't really know what that looks like. Um, God still wants to restore you. He wants you to feel something and see something in a way that maybe you've never seen in your life before. Maybe there are habits and, and things like that that you guys are dealing with and you're struggling with. Maybe you've hit rock bottom, and you're like, I don't really know where to go from here. Maybe a relationship with God is where you need to go. But in your guys' worship bulletin, there's a communication card. It's a cardstock piece of paper. It's a thicker piece of paper. If you guys want to pull that out, I encourage you guys all to pull that out. This is your first step towards being restored. You see, because God provided not just his word, but God has also provided his people to come and take places in our lives to help us find that restoration. Like I talked about earlier, if, if you just come to church because you think you're going to find it by being here on Sundays, you're never going to find it. Because the restoration that God has for, for your life is going to happen by connecting deeply to his people because they are going to help you direct yourself towards his word. And so, you know, I don't know where you're at in life today, but look at that communication card, and there's lots of different things on there. There's, there's things that can help you. If, you. if you struggle with an addiction, if you struggle with a habit or something that's been really hanging you up, we, we have people in leadership positions in this church who have struggled in those same areas and have been where you've been. Um, if, if there's just something that you want to find community, maybe you've never even looked into God's Word. Maybe check you want to have a Bible study. You know, Maybe you want to just look into God's Word and see what kind of plans He does have for your life. 
But my, my challenge to you guys today is just if you really want to feel restored, if you want to feel something different in your life, it's going to have to start by you taking a step. And we're here to help, and that's why this church is established. That's why we're here. That's why people tithe, and that's why people give money to this church. That's why people are, are, are present on Sundays. We do everything we can in this church not to make our name greater, or not to just have another franchise or whatever it may be, but we do things here to help people. We want to get people back on their feet. We want to help people have that relationship with God. And we want to know that we're doing everything we can to make that happen. And I get to do that because I have people in my life around me who help with that just as well. So wherever you guys are at, please fill out that communication card. Um, in a minute, we're going to have somebody come up and sing a song. And while they're singing that song, it's going to give you guys time to, to fill out that first card. Um, and uh, then we're going to sing a second song. And then you guys will, will pass baskets and you guys can drop that card in. If you're visiting with us today, we don't want your money. Um, it's not that your money's not good or it's not that you're... We didn't get you here to get your money. Um, we wanted everyone to come today so we could maybe give you something, to give you an opportunity, to give you a chance to be restored, to give you an opportunity to have relationships with people who are going to help. Um, and so I'm just excited that you guys are here. The school year is here. If you guys have friends or family, uh, invite them. Bring them to church. Get them involved just as much as you are. And, you know, it's just going to be cool to see what God's going to do in your guys' lives and what God's going to do in this church because of people who take their relationship with him seriously, they seek his face, and they turn from their ways to find something greater. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll have the worship team come on up. God, I just want to thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to be able to even turn from our ways. You know, honestly, from what, what Jesus did on the cross and what you've done for us and the way that you've loved us, we, we shouldn't have a chance to turn. Like, we, we should be done for um, but God, you've given us an opportunity to turn from our ways, to give us a second chance, just like with Hosea and Gomer, God. So many times Gomer fell away and, and, and went her way, but Hosea was always there to pick her up. And God, I think that's the same way that you view us, that we fall away and we do so many different things in our lives, but you've always been here to pick us up. So I pray that if that's the way that you're going to treat us, that we can, the least we can do is try to find a relationship with you and seek you the way that you want us to. So thank you again for your son. Thank you again for this church. And thank you again for all the lessons that you've given us through your word um, to give us the hope that we need. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.